Good morning. I hope you slept good. I appreciate you for joining me today. We're continuing with our story of the various people who make up what we call the nativity. And today we're going to be talking about Joseph. We know that uh, Joseph is not mentioned in Jesus' adulthood. Once we get to Jesus' ministry, Joseph is never mentioned. And so we can assume because other men are mentioned in Jesus' life and ministry and in those uh, accounts. So we assume and are confident that Joseph died at some point in Jesus' upbringing. We know that Jesus had siblings. The accounts of Jesus in the Gospels are in, uh, I mean, of Jesus' siblings are in Mark 6 and Matthew 13. Mark 6 says, is not this the carpenter? So uh, in this case, this is people criticizing Jesus and trying to downplay him. And they say, is not this the carpenter? So we know Jesus had a trade. He was a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us. So we know that Jesus had siblings alive and and present during his adult life, but we have no record of Joseph during his adult life. And, you know, family is family, and not every family is is perfect, not even this family. And we've got record at one point where somebody comes in where Jesus is teaching and they say, your mother and your brothers are outside wanting to see you. And Jesus gestured to the people there in the room where he was teaching. He said, these are my mother and my brothers. <laughs> And uh, his family took offense at that. And I, I understand how and why they took, would take offense at that, but Jesus did have a point to prove, and that was that he was single-mindedly focused on his purpose, and he was f- there to feed the hungry and not get involved in family drama. And so, you know, just knowing that, one little instance where... Uh, there was family friction. We find something interesting at the cross when Jesus dies on the cross. As he's dying in John 19, verses 26 and 27, Jesus sees his mother there at the cross with him. And because this is written in, in John, John always refers to himself as the disciple who Jesus loves. So it says, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, (laughs) 
So we know that's John. He saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. Jesus is uh, giving his mother a replacement for himself here. Woman, behold thy son. He's, He's referring to John. In verse 27, then he said to the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple, John, took her into his own home. And so I'm not sure why Jesus' siblings were not the one that Jesus made this, you know, take care of mom kind of. Uh, Chrissy wasn't on a deathbed, but a death statement. But it was John. And so, uh, and also we do know later in scripture that um, at least Jesus' brothers were indeed disciples of Jesus and did um, have a full conversion and understanding of who Jesus was. But family is family. And I think we're going to find repeatedly that when the scripture says he was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, he was tempted in all points like as we are, it's not kidding. Like it's real and legit. Jesus even knows what family drama is. And resources Uh, say that Mary was anywhere between 49 and 59 years old when Jesus was crucified. And again, uh, this devotional is stemming from Joseph. And so that means Joseph passed pretty early. If If Mary was 49 to 59 years old, I don't know how long she would have raised children alone, um, but that's young. I'm at the at the making of this podcast. I'm forty nine years old, and I feel very young. So Mary was quite young and was a a single mother. We're we're going to look at all of. Joseph in scripture today because it's not, you know, like Jesus' life where there are chapters and chapters. But because there's so little of, of Joseph's life, we are going to look at more than just Jesus' birth so that we can fully understand and and perhaps draw our own insight and um direction from seeing how Joseph conducted himself in various situations. In Luke chapter 2 verses um, 41 through 52, this is the last time we know of Joseph being in Christ's life. I don't know how uh, soon after this that Joseph died, but this is the last time that we read about Joseph. And Jesus is 12 years old. Luke 2, I'm going to read all of these verses. Now his parents 
went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to the Jerusalem, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. <laughs> and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. Oh my goodness. I mean, anybody who has ever had 30 seconds of missing your child in a public place gets this panic. Verse 44, but they, Mary and Joseph, supposing that Jesus was in the company. So what that means is it was common for people to travel in large groups. And because, you know, when you've got a large group and you just assume you know, the last time I saw Jesus, I or the last time I saw my kid, I left them with playing with so-and-so with their parents. We're good. We're all moving on here. And they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. They traveled for a day. And when they went to to find him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance... They found him not, verse 45, (sighs) the panic. They turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, Mary and Joseph are looking through Jerusalem for three days. They found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors. Now this word doctors doesn't mean um, medical doctors. It means the educated people the very high educated people sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. Now I have to tell you that this is the first time that I realized Jesus was hearing them and asking them questions because verse 47 says All that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. I just have always thought that they were just there listening to Jesus solely. Obviously, they were hearing him. But I want to point out that Jesus always brings himself under the law. And even as a 12-year-old in this setting... Even though he had opportunity to speak, he had opportunity to speak because he was hearing them and asking them questions. I'm going to give a parenting tip here. Just because a child is highly intelligent does not mean they should manipulate the conversations that they are in. I happen to have birthed to very intelligent people. And as a young mom, my mom said to me privately one day, um, uh, Danae, you let Morgan talk too much. (laughs) And as is normal for a mother, myself, when my mother has a point of guidance, that made me mad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
you know, I thought I was, first of all, I knew Morgan was super smart. We all knew Morgan was super smart. Madison too. But um, this was when Madison was, Madison's um, younger than Morgan. So Morgan was the one that was more engaged in conversation. and, And she was particularly talking about when I would be needing to correct Morgan, I would allow Morgan to reason with me. You know, I would let Morgan explain why she was doing whatever it was that she was doing that I was telling her to stop doing. And uh, so I did not like it when my mother said to me, you let her talk too much. (laughs) But um, I was raised to take advice and counsel from those older than me. And I am so glad that I did change how I was doing it. I don't know if I changed it to do exactly as my mom had in mind that I should. She did not bring it up again. So I guess I I changed enough to make her not worry. Um, my mother was not uh, super invasive into our home life. Um, so when she gave counsel, it was, I almost said it was easy to take. No, it was not easy to take. And moms do not forget that it is never easy to take when somebody gives you suggestions or counsel or tips or whatever that is insinuating you're doing it wrong. That is never easy to take. But wisdom requires you take that information in and pray about it and uh, see how you can change what you're doing. To me, that is the seat of wisdom. What is the point of counsel if you're not going to heed it? The scripture says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. Okay. Well, I didn't mean to get into parenting, but this did for the first time, I did not know that Jesus was hearing them and asking them questions. He was not dominating the situation. And because he was hearing them, so these educated people are talking, Jesus is smart enough and perhaps even trained by his parents enough to listen to the adults in the room and not dominate the conversation of the room. Because he was hearing them, and asking them questions, that gave him opportunity to speak. And then verse 47, all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. His understanding of what they were saying. So verse 48, Mary and Joseph come in, and when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother, they were amazed, and this isn't merely amazed uh, in a good way because when his mother said unto him, son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? That's a classic mom (laughs) response. Why are you treating me this way? Do you know the anxiety you've put me under? (laughs) Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. The anxiety we have felt for the last four days, a a day's journey, and then finding out that he wasn't there, hustling back to Jerusalem, 
and looking for him for three days. Oh, goodness. Yep. Jesus had regular family stuff going on. In verse 49, Jesus said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. (laughs) Mary and Joseph, those doctors might have been standing in awe of this 12-year-old's understanding and answers, but Mary and Joseph were not. They were riddled with anxiety. They were sick of, of this, and it turns out he had just been in the temple having conversations, and they understood him not. <laughs> Verse 51, and then we find Jesus doing what he did continually. Um, actually, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. Jesus was subject unto them. He was a son that received training, received instruction. He was God manifest in the flesh. But we continually, over and over, see Jesus bringing himself into that role of being a servant. And of course, for those of us trying to be like Jesus, this is what our lifestyle must be as well to bring ourselves to be subject to authority figures his mother verse 51 kept all these sayings in her heart she she might not have understood him in the moment but she kept all these sayings in her heart she pondered them often 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And again, I know this is, I need to get back to Joseph, but those of us who are are trying to be like Jesus, we need to increase in wisdom. We need to increase in stature. That's talking about he, his health his, his physicality grew. It increased as his wisdom increased. And so we need to take care of our health. We need to seek wisdom. And Jesus increased in favor with God and man. We like being in favor with God, but we do not realize we need to seek to be in favor with those around us. Seek that favor. So this this reference of Jesus being 12, that's the last time that we hear about Joseph. We do not know what caused his death. We know that Mary and Joseph's marriage produced four sons and daughters, but we don't know how many daughters. It just says, and his sisters, plural, sisters. But I do have several beautiful attributes of Joseph that stands out to me. And I want to talk about those today, starting with faithfulness. So our podcast started with Mary. And after the angel visited Mary, when I said our podcast started with Mary, I meant this Christmas series podcast. It started with Mary. And after the angel visits Mary and Luke, we start reading about Joseph in Matthew 1. And 
Before we start reading about Joseph, I want to point out that in Luke, we find Mary leaving her home, uh, verses 39 and 40, a few days later, meaning later after the angel had visited Mary, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. If, if you remember, Elizabeth was six months pregnant and Mary entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary went right away after that visitation from the angel to stay with Elizabeth. And that's important to note because it makes it impossible for anyone to assume that Joseph was the father of this miraculous conception of Jesus. I don't know if they assumed that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph. I'm going to assume they did, but they did know that Joseph was not the birth father. And the other thing is this gives Joseph a lot of time to think a lot of time to stew over the situation, a lot of time to feel the pains of betrayal. And that's important because in Matthew 1, first of all, if you'll read the first chapter of Matthew from verse 1, it gives back-to-back genealogy, starting with Abraham through David, records that are kept through the years of captivity, all the way to Joseph, this, we would call it stepfather of Jesus. And in pointing out that Joseph was Jesus' stepfather, Jesus was touched with the feelings of our infirmity, all of them. He was tempted in all points like we are. He wanted to know what humanity experiences in all of the situations. Jesus knew even the challenges of a blended family. And what a lovely Savior to have gone through even those efforts. It's amazing. So Matthew 1, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example. This this man, Joseph, it just impresses me so much, was minded to put her away privily. This This is a understanding that he did a lot of time thinking about this. He, it was in his mind. He, he had come to a, a decision that he, he was going to not marry her, but he wasn't going to make a big public display and he wasn't going to purposefully run her name in the mud. He was going to just do it privately. He wasn't going to make a public example of her. And this is just a glimpse of his kindness, even in his own feelings of betrayal and all the the heaviness that goes with that, that a man feels, he was not going to blast it out what a whore this woman was and how she, you know, gives him a reason to put her away. And, you know, he didn't have social media in those days, but they did have 
public ways of of displaying when someone was unfaithful and and the grapevine has always existed. And so this is an example of the right way to do someone who's treated you wrongly. If there is a need to put them out of your life, do it privately. There's no reason to blast it everywhere. Verse 20, but while he thought on these things, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son. And thou, you've got a role to play in this, Joseph. You've got a partnership in this. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. And in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. Verse 25, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. First of all, the patience of this man to restrain himself, to have these kinds of of borders and boundaries in his life that he withheld his own sensual needs to fulfill the will of the Lord. And then also how special it is that Joseph was the one who pronounced this name that to this day we call on and we know it holds all power. Joseph was the one endued with the authority to name him Jesus. Wow. And then moving to Luke 2, at that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now, this is huge in me because I just came back from Rome and went through the Forum and all of these ancient sites when Rome was ruling as an empire. You know, there is a Roman wall in London to this day, there is a 2,000-year-old piece of the Roman wall that is still there. There, They didn't just have what we today call Italy. They didn't just have that. They ruled all the way over in Israel and in Africa and in Europe. And I mean, this was an empire. And this is important to remember, verse 3, all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. Everybody, not not just Israel, not just Joseph and Mary, and, and not just Israel, across the entire empire, people were having to uproot and take a trip. This is, you know... We, at the time of this recording, this is December of 2022. And we just are coming out of a pandemic. 
from uh, COVID-19 and we are, you know, just coming out of experiencing what a lockdown feels like where the entire world is by a decree of government law not traveling that means we are still feeling the repercussions of factories being closed down, people not going to work, food production being halted, shipping being halted. We are still feeling the effects of that. Imagine what this was like for an entire known world to be forced to travel back to their homeland, (laughs) back to, it's just mind-blowing to me. It's the first time I've really thought about it. So verse 4, because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee So the entire empire was in a state of upheaval, not just Israel. And it was a 90 mile, about a 90 mile journey. And other than walking, the means of travel at that time included donkeys, camels, horses, or, or, uh, you know, some type of cart drawn by a horse. And since Joseph was a carpenter, we know that he was not a wealthy man. And so we, we, in our imaginations, have depicted that they made this journey on a donkey. But scripture does not tell us that detail. And because I, I am a purist when it comes to the Bible, and I'm going to be pointing out several things that kind of rock our, um, our idea of what the nativity looked like, because I'm going to be pointing out things in scripture. I don't have a problem with how we depict it, but I I love pointing out what scripture actually says was the case and what we have imagined to be the case. So a donkey is not in scripture. We always see Mary traveling on a donkey. I'm not sure that I personally would find that comfortable. I I have ridden horses um, since I was nine years old. I do not like to ride bareback. I I love a western saddle, but the that that's taxing on your body to ride an animal. Um after uh even a cart, we know from the early pioneer American days that they when they were going across the the prairies, they would get sick of the jostling of those wagons and they would get out and walk. So I'm not sure how much she actually rode a donkey. Um, riding an animal is uncomfortable. It might save your legs some and you might go back and forth, but scripture doesn't tell us that they had a donkey, but I'm not opposed to us thinking that they did use a, a donkey of some kind to get from point A to point B. But 90 miles, 70 to 90 miles is what research says the journey was. Verse 5, uh, Luke 2, verse 5, so Joseph went, they went to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So she is very pregnant. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. 
It's time for the baby to come. In verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So first of all, there are a few things to read between the lines here and take note of. They're back where he has an ancestral home. I would assume he had kinspeople there because more than he is from there. Uh, But it doesn't even insinuate that they attempted to find family there. Uh, they obviously looked for a an inn to have the baby, but again, because of all this, everybody was was visiting everywhere. Nobody, all this travel that was going on that that Augustus had had imposed on everyone. Everyone was traveling, and so. Uh, my goodness, the hospitality industry was booming. <laughs> but there was no room for them in the inn. And so they they found a place she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So we know that a manger is what animals eat out of. And so we assume that this is a barn. We tend to say he was born in a barn. Um, he, was, he was definitely born where they, where they keep animals because that's what a manger is. It's, where they, it's a trough that they feed animals out of. And it was common for them to have a place within their home. In fact, when you study shepherds, you know that they shepherds have such a close relationship with their sheep because the uh, bottom level of their house, they would bring their she- their sheep into, and and like kind of like we have our dogs with us in our homes, the sheep were, and on the lower level of of their home, and so it was a clean place. It was a part of where they were, I, I do not believe this was a dirty barn. Um, this was a clean place. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. I want to point out that Joseph is a provider. Joseph made a, a good place for them. Men are specifically intended to think of and instinctually do things differently than women, even opposite than a woman would do them. And I just want to give this note to wives, to women. Don't let fictional scripts of Hollywood and movie soundtracks that move your emotions mess up your expectations of your husband. He is not you. He's not going to think like you. You know, you you are putting away groceries and he is putting away groceries and you're like, 
you know, and I'm saying this in a lighthearted way, you just like, don't do it like that. Do it like this. You know, you've got your way. He's got his way. Don't do it like that. Do it like this. Even the simple task of putting away groceries, a man and a woman are going to do those differently. And that's okay. He was, he is not like you on purpose. And you are not like him on purpose. Let him be him. Let him be a man. Let him do things as his instinct moves him to do things. Don't forget that in the creation of Eve, the, the, the wife, the female's initial point and purpose of creation was to be a help to him from the opposite side of the scale. You women, Eve was created to be a help meet, M-E-E-T. Like you meet, like two things that meet, match, balance. Two things that meet each other from two different places. You are a help that matches him, but from the other side. And we see that Mary gave Joseph space to do things his way. Don't forget, Mary was in a place of power. She was anointed and called of God to do a mighty work for the Lord. She was on a spiritual mission from God. Mary was in a place of power. And we know just just by looking at the story of Jesus turning water to wine that Mary was not timid to say what she wanted. God in the flesh, (laughs) Jesus said, woman, what have I to do with thee? It is not my hour. Woman, uh, oh my goodness, you'll have to hear that podcast where I, where I talk about that and how I would feel if, I, if my son <laughs> dared address me that way. <laughs> oh my goodness. But we know from that story that Mary was not this timid, I have nothing to say, uh, I, I don't have opinions here. When Jesus himself acted like, you know, I I do my own thing here. I am a man. She absolutely ignored him and told the servants, whatever he says, do it, which clearly was an instruction to Jesus. Look, fix this. (laughs) So Mary was not intimidated or or quiet when she had something to say and she wanted done. We know that just from that one story of Jesus turning water to wine. And so we can know that with Joseph, she also had an opinion, had a thought, had uh, things and ways that she wanted. But Joseph had demonstrated a reason to be trusted. Joseph as a man, would have thought differently than Mary, would have 
I'm done things differently than Mary because that's what a man is supposed to do. And she is supposed to do things and see things from her way. But Joseph had demonstrated a reason to be trusted. He had demonstrated he had his own relationship with God, clearly, because he was able to have a supernatural dream. And so this that he had a, a, a relationship with God, with God was a reason to trust him. He had restrained himself in the area of his sensual needs as he was asked to do. And when a man is asked to do that, he should do that. But that's another reason to trust him. He, he had improvised and found a clean place for them to shelter in when there was no room in the inn. A man who provides the best he can should be trusted when he brings reasoning to the table. The wife should trust him. Your husband may not do things like you would do them, but he is likely demonstrating other actions that are meant to prove to you that you should trust him. Be his help from the equal opposite side of thought. Be his help from your different point of view. Speak up. Say what you need. Just do so respectfully and honorably. God himself said, come, let us reason together. If God Almighty, who is the supreme authority head The husband is the head of the wife. But this demonstration of God as the supreme head saying to humanity, come, let us reason together. Even though the husband is the head of the wife, that does not mean he should not sit down and say, let's have a conversation and let's reason together. We see Joseph being faithful, kind, patient, a provider. We see he's open to the spiritual realm. I love that he is a dreamer like his namesake, Joseph in the Old Testament. In Matthew 2, verses 13 through 15, we're going to skip ahead and we'll talk about the wise man in, in another Christmas podcast over the next few days. But after the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. These Josephs and their ability to dream. He appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother. Now he's a protector. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return. Because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. And that night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. And they stayed there in Egypt until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. This displacement of this family is very touching. Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities, including displacement, including 
displacement. When I think about refugees and immigrants having to leave their homes, their countries, because of cruelty of ruling governments, Jesus understands even that. I don't understand it, but I'll tell you, I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be compassionate and I'm going to be as giving as I can be because Jesus said in the New Testament, I was hungered and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I, I am aware that Jesus knows what it feels like to be displaced in a country that is not his own. And we're going to wrap up today with this amazing bookend that is far removed, 33 years removed from the nativity where Jesus is born and placed in a manger. I find it so, so beautiful that the man who claimed Jesus' body from the cross was a man named Joseph. He was Joseph of Arimathea. But how beautiful it is that Jesus' life was bookended with Joseph's. I hope you have a great day today. Thank you for joining me. Please share this podcast. Have a great day.